Welcome to Sex Care is Self-Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Critchman, chair of the PBF Medical Advisory Board, to discuss breast cancer survivorship. Um, Dr. Critchman, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, Patty. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk about this really important topic in terms of breast cancer. You know, I've uh, really devoted my career to uh, helping those who have cancer um, address their issues. I am really fortunate to be the chair of the PBF Medical Advisory Board, uh, work very closely with you in terms of grant research and um, fundraising and really to help further along the, you know, our passion about research and really improving quality of life. And I'm so excited to talk about cancer, which is one of our six focuses for this. So um, really excited to jump right in and talk about breast cancer survivorship. Um, what, tell me, what is survivorship? What is breast cancer survivorship? What, what, what does that look like? So, you know, Patty, I started in the cancer field, believe it or not, almost two decades ago, and I was doing survivorship before it became kind of avant-garde to talk about uh, survivorship. And I think we're all survivors. We're all living with chronic conditions. And really, in terms of what I'm thinking, you know, breast cancer survivorship sometimes talked about as breast cancer thrivership. How do we live with this chronic condition? And for me, in, in my respect, it's really about prevention and wellness. Now, what is prevention? Prevention is really how do we incorporate positive living, whether it's diet, exercise, stress management, sleep management, sex management, um, to prevent disease. Also, you know, if you've had a chronic condition like breast cancer, what are the protocols to monitor your bones and monitor colon and other things? So prevention really is about in early intervention, surveillance, um, and what have you. And then we look on the wellness side and is how do we make good choices as human beings to optimize our wellness? You know, um, how do we uh, manage our schedule so we sleep properly? How do we manage hot flashes so we're not sweating when we're at a board meeting or having other um, activities that are impactful? So really for me, survivorship is a combination of prevention of disease. How do we prevent recurrence from happening for breast cancer patients, surveillance, as well as how do we optimize general health and wellness so we really live our best life? and. For me, it started off really looking at some other ancillary services. And then I listened to women. And, you know, um, we always say two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. And women were complaining about intimacy issues. And I'm choosing my words really carefully because, you know, intimacy and sex, they very often go hand in hand, but they're not necessarily the same thing. And they were telling me how the disease of breast cancer was so impactful, not only on their function, on their anatomy, but also on their relationships, their intimate relationships, not only with their partners, but sometimes with their daughters, 
sometimes with their mothers, sometimes with their work colleagues as well. So again, survivorship encompasses all of this, the biopsychosocial model of how we help women who've had cancer really cope and move forward and really um, attain the new normal which is really living with the disease and the new great normal, because it doesn't have to be terrible. It doesn't have to be detrimental. Certainly it's a change in your path, but again, optimizing your, you know, your experience. What are some of the common sexual uh, health issues that women experience as a result of breast cancer treatment? So Patty, you know, I, I think what we should do is kind of walk through the the whole concept of where we go and you know i always say that you know when you get a diagnosis of cancer you kind of are in this echo phase where you can't really understand you say like look i i'm generally healthy i eat well um and now i have cancer what do i do and you're kind of coping and then you you go through a treatment paradigm where you have either surgery or radiation or medication and those are all very, very impactful. So surgery, removing of the breast, it's really impactful for women because very often that's a, a, a part of a woman's identity, how she addresses her femininity. It may really very impactful of how she views herself as a sexual person. Not, let's not forget that the, the breasts and the nipples are also sexual organs. The women get very aroused when the breasts are caressed or touched. So that is very impactful as well. And, you know, I know you can, you can think about this and we'll talk a little bit about the Justa syndrome. We're just going to remove the breast and kind of minimize it, but it's a huge ordeal, right? Then we move into radiation where you may have skin changes, you may have fibrosis, you may even have pain putting your arm around a partner. Um, chemotherapy leads to early menopause, hot flashes, severe vaginal dryness. Let's not minimize the hair loss, you know, private and, and, and public hair, hair on your head, all really very, very impactful of how a woman uh, views herself, not, not, you know, minimizing the nausea, the vomiting, what have you. And then once you finish your acute treatment, then you're just put on a medication, right? And then you're put on either a tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor that will impact your bones and maybe give you bone aches and may cause severe dryness and what have you. Now, I know you've gone through a renovation. I've gone through a renovation. It's called the Justice Syndrome, right? So I was just gonna change the appliances in my house, right? And I just changed the appliances and then kind of, you know, the the countertop just didn't look right. So I had to change that. And then, you know, the sink was not fitting. So I just had to do that. And then we kind of just had a window that we just made into a patio, that door that was just leading nowhere. And that's what happens with cancer care, right? We're just gonna take off this breast and let's just take off the other breast and let's just give you medication for 10 years. And we don't address the cascade effect. In terms of sexual function, think of it as concentric overlapping circles. And unfortunately, very often breast cancer patients have dryness, which leads to pain, which leads to lack of arousal, inability to attain orgasm. And let's not forget the psychosocial issues, you know, lowered mood, depression, 
social withdrawal. So again, concentric overlapping circles where we see dryness, pain, lowered libido, lowered interest and orgasmic changes, um, which are really very much in um, affecting a woman's quality of life and her ability to move forward from this diagnosis as well. There's, there's so much when a woman goes through breast cancer treatment that, and she lives in such doubt and shame on who does she go with all of these issues? Who does she turn to? And I really do think that it does take a tribe of people to help her move forward. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we do is try to coordinate care and remember, um, very often when you have breast cancer or any other cancer specifically, you're going to a specialist and they, they really are, are zeroing in, focusing on the breast. They're not looking at the whole, whole person as an integrative system, how one part affects another. Yeah. You often talk about sexual self-esteem and relationship to breast cancer survivorship. What is sexual self-esteem? What, what is that? So, you know, we talk about how a woman views herself as a sexual person. So sexual self-esteem certainly is how a woman will perceive herself uh, in terms of a sexual being. Is she a feeling attractive? Is she feeling feminine? Is she feeling sensual? Is she really feeling sexy? And very often, you know, uh, you know how a woman carries herself as a female um, may be impacted because of this, you know, anatomical change or the menopause or radiation issues. Um, certainly very, very problematic for some women. But again, I think the important thing, Patty, is that they're not alone. There's a lot of different things that can be done to help women really move forward for this. You know, there's specialized products, there's specialized exercises, there's clinicians as well that are specialized for this. And, you know, this builds upon what you had talked about earlier about building a team. Very often a woman feels like she's a piece of a puzzle, right? That there is one doctor is looking at the breast and one doctor is looking at the bones and one doctor is looking at the thyroid and one doctor is looking at her cardiovascular. So survivorship specialists like myself and others across the country really try to put those pieces together and really build a healthcare team, you know? And we have some great resources on PBF, how to build a good sexual health team. And it's not just a clinician, it's coordinating a specialist and you know, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and bringing in the right people to address specialized needs is really important in cancer care. And it's a kind of coordination. So we say, you know, the oncological team is really the captain of the ship and they're managing the treatment and what have you. And then we have the patient who is really the passenger and the survivorship specialist really is kind of the cruise director. So he, he or she is managing the patient and managing the oncological team and integrating all these pieces of the puzzle to get a good picture of what's going on as well. I hope that the people out there listening to this podcast uh, also realize if you don't have a team, ask for a team, correct? 
Correct. And really, there are a lot of great resources there. Start at your local cancer center. Uh, and now, Patty, with telehealth, you know, there is so many more opportunities to stay connected with specialists all over the country, um, you know, doing consults, getting a second opinions. And, you know, I really think sometimes you need to fire your clinician. Right. I know you agree, agree with me. I agree hundred percent that some, and, and your needs need to be met and you need to be listened to. And again, I think it's really important. If you're, if your issues are not being addressed, you need to find the right people who will listen to you. But yeah, because that's part of your survival right there. If somebody's not listening to you and you don't feel heard, you are not, your, your treatment is not going to go well. Um, speaking of which, how does breast cancer treatment and survivorship affect partners and spouses? Well, first, let me say is we'd like to think all partners are supportive, right? And really, unfortunately, that is not the case. I always tell the story of a woman who was put on uh, the bus to go get her chemo and she was handed divorce papers. And the partner said, you know, I didn't sign up for this. Um, I didn't sign up for this. This is really important. Um, you know, you're not the same person that you were. Uh, you know, roles change, right? So we love to think that our partners are liberated and that they're um, very involved in a variety of different things. But if you look traditionally in the, um, in the US families specifically, you know, female partners in heterosexual relationships are still the primary caregivers of children. They're the cookers, the cleaners, the telehealth managers. Um, and when they are dealing with illness, somebody has to pick up the slack. And sometimes this is very, very stressful. You know, partners go through a variety of different emotions. They're very anxious. They're fearful. We see communication breakdown. Um, and remember, it, it's not only heterosexual couples. Same-sex couples, very, very important. The breasts may be more um, valued in a relationship, in sexual play, in arousal, and what have you. So really addressing the spousal issues, very, very important. And we see this kind of what I would call the dance of intimacy, right? So women will say, you know, my partner used to chase me around the room and want to be intimate with us. But, you know, what happens with the partner? The partner says, look, my partner is going through cancer care, and she may be ill, and she may be nauseous, and I'm going to kind of just be supportive. What happens then is the person who has cancer says, what's wrong with me? They used to chase me around and now they're not. I'm not the same person. They must be looking elsewhere for their sexual needs. So really important to maintain this dialogue. And we, we see this happening very often. Thankfully, there are resources very often, you know, uh, in my clinical practice, I see couples come in uh, as a woman when you're going for care, be empowered. If you want your partner there, please ask and please say it's important. And also the reverse. If you feel like you need some alone time with your clinician to discuss sensitive issues, it's okay to say, you know what, honey, I really want to go to this visit alone. So really empowering women to make right choices as well. I, I think that's awesome because so many times, um, 
we tend to believe that the people around us are clairvoyant and know what we want. And especially when you're going through treatment, you have to be open and honest and say what's on your mind and not expect them because they need to get that out as well. They need to tell you how they're feeling and why they might not be responding as they have in the past. Right. And, and, and Patty, you have to, you have, we, we want to empower women to listen to their bodies and listen to their needs. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know, I'm not really very well enough to have intercourse, but I want to be held. I want to just be close with you. And we know that women who are deprived of touch, they tend to get depressed and withdrawn. Men get angry. So this intimacy, what we talked about earlier, intimacy and sex sometimes, you know, go hand in hand and sometimes they're very separate. And, you know, intimate is not necessarily intercourse. It may be outer course. It may be touching. It may be a sensual massage. It may be, you know, kissing, hugging, even walking hand in hand, even a gentle touch while somebody is getting chemo does a lot to enhance the relationship, build that confidence and enhance communication, which is really important. Now that we understand the impact of treatment on breast cancer patients and their intimate relationships, what tools can a woman struggling in the aftermath use to reconnect uh, with her sexual self? So Patty, I know this is really a, a, a big question and I think we touched a little bit upon it before is one is know your body, communicate. Build a proper healthcare team that is listening to your needs and really if it's not important uh, for the clinician um, to address your needs, it's time for a new clinician. And it's okay to seek the proper team. And again, I think that is one of the most important issues is build your proper team that's addressing your needs. And there are certainly a lot of resources, your local cancer centers, there's national organizations. Uh, we have great resources at the Patty Brisbane Foundation. Um, there's uh, resources in terms of simple solutions, right? Um, simple solutions, sometimes an over-the-counter, um, you know, or uh, lubricant goes a long way. Sometimes an open, frank discussion, sometimes a good good book focusing on sexuality will really do the trick. Um, for others, I think it's important to not ignore your body and ignore the signals that your body is giving you. Um, get a medical evaluation from somebody who is focused on sexual health. Don't be embarrassed, be empowered. Sometimes you have to stand in front of the mirror and talk about the words. You know, very often women are shamed and they're told to be embarrassed to talk or even say the word vagina or arousal or desire or orgasm. And they skirt around the issue. So sometimes it takes practice, practice with a friend. Um, it's also okay to mark things down on a piece of paper. If you're really uncomfortable, just jot it down and give it to the, the assistant or give it to the clinician. Um, and it's, it's not okay to say no, right? Meaning the clinician can't say no. 
meaning if I come in and I say, look, I have some concerns about desire or arousal or pain, and he says, or she says, no, I don't address that. Don't take no for an answer. Say, I understand you may be uncomfortable with this, but this is important for me. Be empowered. And if it's important, you know, please send me somewhere where I can get resources and where I can get help. There's a, a lot of information available online, which you can access yourself. And there's good clinicians and there's good organizations as well. I do have one question. What's your opinion on the use of local minimally absorbed vaginal estrogens? So, you know, I think for me, I, you know, being in this business for a very long time, I really, you know, you want to gauge someone's concern about breast cancer, their, uh, their fear of recurrence, and you want to collaborate and develop a, what I would call precision medicine, a precise plan with the patient. Very often women, if I start talking about estrogen, they're, you know, they've already picked up their clothes and they're creaking to the door and they want to make a quick exit because for them, estrogen has gotten a bad rap, right? I always say you can't, I, I cannot find a woman um, and I know many who, who have not been touched by breast cancer, whether it's their colleague, their friend, their work partner, themselves, their family, their extended family. It is very common as we age as a population. And this concern about estrogens is really problematic. The challenge is these minimally absorbed local estrogens, they are ultra low dose. There's been extensive study. Um, they are considered generally safe. You know, I, I always start conservative, vaginal moisturizers, vaginal lubricants sometimes do the trick. And I don't want to create more anxiety. So even though the data is supportive that we can use certain ones, um, I really want to individualize and really want to see what they, how they feel. You know, you have women on both ends of the spectrum. You have women who will avoid any type of soy, whatever, because it may, and some rare occasion. And again, um, you have women who are more liberal and they understand the science and the data and they feel more comfortable. Remember the, the reality of life is about risk assessment, right? So, you know, we have more people that are afraid of flying than afraid of driving, right? And, but flying is much safer than getting into a car. Um, we certainly have concerns about vaccines and adverse events, but we also know that people that are unvaccinated may have more uh, concerns. Uh, we all drive a car, but it's risky. So again, the risk is very, very low. The data is supportive. But again, I think that communication with your specialist is really important. We have a lot of things that we can do in our war chest to help with vaginal dryness and painful intercourse as well. For women who are new to survivorship, where can they go for more information and resources? So Patty, I think, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take the opportunity to give the PBF a plug. We have great resources there and thanks. I'll take to, it. <laughs> thanks to you and all the research that we do. We also have great um, products at, um, you know, Pure Romance as well. Uh, it's one of our focuses. So I always say, you know, start with what you know and then move forward. There are certainly other cancer organizations, your local cancer um, uh, center, 
the uh, research centers, the academic centers, there's national organizations, there is, you know, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors and Therapists, all of these organizations about cancer, they all have find a provider. And what I would say is do your homework. Just because someone's listed doesn't mean that they're qualified, right? We right. have resources, um, talk to your girlfriends, talk to your trusted clinician, talk to your team. Um, there are a lot of organizations nationally that certainly can help uh, ease some of the uh, sexual problems that a, a cancer patient may be experiencing. And I think for me, the, the bottom line and my take home message uh, I think is there's no need to suffer in silence. It's the, it's the great new normal. Uh, yes, it's terrible. Cancer is really uh, something that will change the direction of your life um, irreparably, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your sex life is over or that survivorship is over. Uh, many women live a very, very long time with this chronic condition, and I want women to be empowered to live their best life. And really, as you say all the time, self-care and sex care go hand in hand. So I think they it's certainly really do. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Critchman, for your for the great conversation we had this morning. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our six focus areas, visit the Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters. <laughs>